When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or underdog fantasy in the app store sign up with promo code pitcher list and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 must be 18 year older 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8 Hope and why in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm your host, Jake Mache. I'm back, everybody. Uh, maybe you missed me. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. But I am back. Uh, we missed you. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, big thanks to uh, Jake for, for filling in uh, the void there and uh, making sure that we were still running strong. Uh, thanks to Adam Howe stepping in, um, being our special guest last episode. Really appreciate that. Um, today's episode, we're going to be talking, we're going to be looking back. Uh, as we get, you know, the the season is is winding down. Prospect season, especially, is winding down. Uh, only a few games left for Dominican Summer League. Rookie League is going to be winding down soon, uh, and then they're going to be getting into their playoffs in the uh, more traditional minor league systems. So we're going to be looking back a little bit over this season and thinking about things that we got wrong <laughs> and trying to learn from our mistakes. Uh, hopefully, as we as we move in to uh into 2024 right so uh with that being said uh before we do that we're going to talk about this week in baseball we have a a slew of some promotions interesting across the board um nolan shanuel i think is probably the biggest uh promotion just because of how fast obviously Uh, i think it's less than or around 70 um professional at bats that he got and now he is a major league baseball player. Um, the the first um, person out of the 2023 MLB draft to now be an official major league baseball player with the um, Angels. Uh, we kind of hinted towards this during our draft um, episode that they seem to be trying to shortcut, right? Shortcut their way into having some impact young bats especially but really just young players across the board 
Um, you know, we talked about at the time with Zach Neto. They, they kind of fast-tracked him. Uh, we, Reed Detmers, again, you can argue about it all you want. You know, it's kind of a moot point at this point in time, but they pretty much fast-tracked him after getting drafted into becoming a, a, a major league pitcher. Um, and so he's only 24 years old, and it seems like he's been around for quite some time because of how quickly they moved him. I think this is something to expect more and more from the Angels, uh, especially with their first-round picks. Is I think they're going to continue to cherry-pick some um, college players, specifically over the prep ballers. And I think they're going to be looking for um, players that they can they feel, for whatever reason, that they can kind of move quickly through. So maybe more um, low ceiling but high floor types because I think Neto and Shanuel especially definitely fit that mode of, you know, at at worst, they can be, you know, platoon bats. Like their worst case scenarios, they could end up, Shanuel could be uh, a platoon bat against righties. Um, Neto, I think his defense, when he's healthy, obviously, I think his defense is enough that he probably can still earn everyday playing time or close to it, um, just defensively alone. Um, you know, if a guy like, uh, and, and no shots, but like if a guy like Andrew Velasquez can become close to an everyday player with the Angels, then like I think Zach Neto can, regardless of how well he does um, offensively. And that's the kind of worst case scenario. And then best case is, you know, they they turn to an, all, you know, an all-star or something of that nature. And I think that that's going to be what we see, you know, uh, for the next couple of seasons, especially – you know, if, if Otani goes away, if Trout continues to kind of be on a decline, which he possibly could be as he ages and continues to collect some injuries. Um, so that's just something from my end that I'm paying attention to as far as what the Angels are doing, especially with the, those first um, round picks that they're picking up. What are you thinking uh, when it comes to Nolan Shanuel, uh, you know, redraft wise, because there's still a redraft potential right for this season? And then, of course, thinking about Dynasty for 2024, what does this do to his draft stock in a FYPD? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, the Angels are just uh, fascinating. I, you know, like we just like we just broke Shanuel down in an episode. Well, maybe what, four or five episodes ago mm-hmm. uh, for FYPDs that happen. in. I mean, I guess a lot of them are happening now, but, you know before next season for guys that will be here even a a season two after that. And here he is. Um, And so, you know, I I don't think a whole lot has changed because he hasn't really had a ton of time to like show us something better or something worse. He's pretty much been exactly what the profile was out of college. Uh, He walks a ton, doesn't strike out a ton. Um, Overall, I was just looking, it is 21 strikeouts or 21 walks to 10 strikeouts across complex low a and double a um in 90 oh math 96 plate appearances um so i mean like plate discipline is as good as advertised um he hit one homer like you can't really take a whole lot from the like the rest of it like plate like plate discipline i think you can get a good sense of in a short sample and it's good that he continued what we'd already seen but like other than that, there's not a whole lot. Um, but I did see that that Chris Clegg pointed out. Um, I can't remember if it was on Discord or Twitter, but he pointed out that his exit velocities in general have taken a big hit with using wood as opposed to the mm, aluminum bats in college. Um, 
and so and I mean Chris Clegg is is has all the data. He's in with a bunch of scouts and and has access to a lot of lower level um, data. And so I definitely trust that. And so like that's a bit, you know, a bit concerning for a first baseman, especially for like a lefty first baseman. Um, you know, there's been some concerns that his hands are so high and he's going to have trouble catching up to high fastballs. Again, I haven't seen a high enough big enough sample to see if that you know sticks. So um, for him in redraft, I'm not. I'm not too interested, especially since um, I believe it was an injury that allowed him. Wasn't there? Was that or was that win? I know win was an injury. Did someone got injured on the Angels? Urshela, Neto, Rendon. No. Okay. Oh, Crone. That's what it was. CJ Crone got injured, and so I think it, you know if it's like depends on how bad his injury is. It looks like it's lower back inflammation without a super clear timeline, and so you know if Crone comes up, I don't think that he's going to get at bats over him. Um, and so like, I don't know if he's going to be consistent playing time the whole time. It's wild that they're hitting him at leadoff, but I mean, he walks a lot. Uh, so long story short, all of that to say that I don't, that I'm not running to grab him for redraft. And I think I'll let someone else pay for him and put him in the lineup and kind of play with fire there. Um, I think it's mostly just kind of like a tryout for next year, you know, get him like they obviously want him in the lineup every day next year. And mm-hmm. They might as well have him go through any struggles this year in the last couple months when they can manipulate his rookie eligibility and like just let him do whatever because they're out of it now. So mm-hmm. I think that's mostly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to circle back to a, a point about Shanuel real quick. The other promotion, um, Mason Wynn, you kind of alluded to uh, with St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I was saying off mic that I, I, been asked in Pigilus Discord either during our one of uh, the live chats that I was hosting, or may have just been in one of the channels. But somebody was asking her like, "Oh, do you think when?" And there was another, um, there was one and another prospect. I think Mauricio, maybe a third. I think it was three. It was like Mauricio win. It was like another middle infield, like high high ranked prospect. I can't remember who exactly. And I was like, no, I don't think any of those guys come up. And it was kind of for these reasons. And I said at the end, I was like, but watch, like, especially with Wynn. I was like, but watch, like right after I finished typing the sentence, he's going to get promoted. And that was like two weeks ago. And I was like, boom, here he is. So, again, things we got wrong. That's something I got wrong. Uh, The reason why I want to circle back uh, connecting him and Shanuel, um, other than just their promotions, is you were talking about the manipulation piece. And I think, you know, I saw a few different parts uh, or a few different – uh, tweets and, and posts that were making mention of uh, it's not just the 45 days piece, right? Because I think a lot of people were counting down like, oh, now it's like 44 days. And that, it's not just that, but also the number of bats, especially for, uh, or specifically for position players, this number of um, at-bats that they accumulate that also impacts rookie eligibility. So you might still have to fudge around with that if you're trying to do that sort of manipulation on the team's part. Uh, because right. I think know, if you played them every day, I think they would hit that exactly. number even in 44 days. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So that makes an impact in, in redraft that you have to consider as well. It's like how often are you actually going to see them on a day-to-day basis? Uh, with when uh, I say it over and over again, I think his defense, his range and his arm are just dynamic. Um, I think that alone just like makes him a, a exciting player to watch in my opinion. Uh, I think what he started to do at uh, the AAA level, especially showing power, he, he always had decent speed, but sh- showing the ability to uh, bring power consistently 
at that high level. He had done some at lower level, some at double A, but it was always a consideration of like, what is that real power, you know, game power outlook going to be? I think if, you know, you can dream on it and, and start looking at it being, you know, 2010, 2015 type seasons from him, uh, like most hitters and especially younger hitters, it's going to be a matter of how much contact is it going to make, um, how much good con- you know, quality contact is it going to make uh, versus uh, striking out. Uh, strikeout rates haven't been insane, you know, it hasn't been anything to already worry about. But of course, there's always an adjustment period when you're talking about hitting major league um, pitching. And with the Cardinals, one of the other reasons why I thought he wasn't going to get called is the Cardinals tend to be the type of franchise that are more like we reload, we don't rebuild. Um, and with Walker already being up, um, them also kind of shuffling through, you know, Baker and Gorman and, you know, some of the other Burleson, like some of the other um, prospects that they have uh, at the upper levels. I thought like when might be like one step too like, far, so to speak, Libertor is another one, like one step too far into like, oh, we're just like shutting down, tearing down and like going into a rebuild. And that tends not to be how they operate. So my that was where my mind was like, maybe they hold fast, take the off season to really look and assess who's out there, what they're going to do. He definitely was going to be in the mix for 2024. Like I had no question about that, but I kind of thought they were going to wait. Um, obviously not the case uh, at least you know not not right now they at least wanted to get him some sort of uh, uh um mlba bat so uh win and shanuel interesting i still really do think wins um floor is more better in in real life type player than he is fantasy but i do think he with that power output that he showed at triple a now you start to see a fantasy like specific sort of impact back that he can have. Cause like I said, if now he can really be in the 20 home run level consistently as a shortstop and knowing that he should get everyday playing time at short. Um, plus this, this bit of speed that he can show if that lineup can kind of come back to life, uh, then he's hitting around some, you know, some decent hitters. You got Goldsmith, you got Arenado, um, new bar has, has put together a pretty good season. So if, if that, lineup can start to coalesce the way the Cardinals kind of thought they would in 2023, if they can do that in 2024 and going forward, now he's in a really good um, lineup for run production all all around. And that makes him even more interesting as well. So um, when is somebody, I mean, you know, from a dynasty standpoint, there's really not much you, I can see you doing. Like if you had them, you hold, if you didn't have them, there's not really a, 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 opportunity to buy right now unless you just are willing to pay a, a, a top uh price um from a redraft i think like what you were saying jake the same thing kind of holds with shannon wells just i don't know that he's going to get the consistent um at bats for him to to for it to be worth your while to to pay or to um to add him to the lineup unless you're like really desperate to have you know some sort of bat if you're like you know, fringe playoff sort of team. You're just like, I need something. I need some sort of like jolt to the system. Um, and there's really, you know, trade deadlines passed. There's really nothing else that's out there. Then, you know, maybe that's something that you can do. Uh, and he offers you some more than what Shaniwell does just again, because he, there is the, the better potential for some stolen bases, some things there. So um, the third prospect that we're getting reports mm-hmm. of, we're recording this on Sunday. 
So can I actually? Yeah. Uh, sorry, can I just give a point about Mason Wynn yeah, real yeah. quick uh, before we move on? I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that I'm not as convinced that the power is legit quite yet, because um, he went like he went on like a pretty crazy hot streak recently in AAA over the last mm-hmm. like month or so. He's been he's been really good, um, but the thing is, is like I. Um, looking at like his bad at ball quality um he in he had 362 balls in play in triple a which is a really significant sample uh 3.6 percent barrel rate and a max exit velo of 110.1 and an average exit velo of 87.9 um i you know i don't put too much stock in the average exit velo um and the max is actually i think solid for a middle infielder with a 3.6% bill rate. I think that's a little bit of an outlier, but, um, or outlier. I don't know how to say that. Um, but you know, I just, I'm looking at the bail rate and that's kind of concerning. Um, and it, it was a, it was about a league average, like launch angle too. um, solid distribution across ground ball, line drive, fly ball, nothing really sticks out there. Um, and so, you know, I know that he hit more homers, uh, but I don't know what was behind it. Like I, I heard someone say recently that he could be like, just like pulling his fly balls, kind of like, Isak Paredes and uh, like Marcus Semien type, you know, guys that kind of get to their power that way. Um, And I don't have the breakdown of like fly balls versus the rest of his batted balls, but he only pulled the ball 39.6% of the time in AAA, uh, which is a tick below league average. Uh, It'd probably be like 40th, 45th percentile maybe. Um, And so he goes opposite field a ton, uh, 33.5%. So I think that I am, I think just a little bit more ca- uh, cautious about the power. Um, but everything else you said, like he's fantastic defensively. He should get playing time because of that. Um, if not this year, then definitely next year um, because they don't really have another shortstop. Like he's their, he's their guy at that position. Um, and he's playing in a really good lineup. If he's playing maybe at the top of the lineup next year, that's definitely better. Um, but yeah, I think I'm thinking maybe more of like 10 to 12 homers. If he could be like efficient with his power. Um, and then maybe he gets to 15. Maybe he, you know, he's only what, uh, how old is he scrolling up to the page here? 21 years old. So like he could definitely get some more power still. Um, but I think right now I'm thinking maybe more of like a 10 to 12 guy. Yeah. I, I, if we go deeper into that, uh, 90th percentile, I know, um, talking about Chris Clay, he was somebody that, that kind of gave me a, a crash course in like understanding 90th percentile mm. uh, EV and like the, what that, what that can help predict when it comes to power. Um, and, but you're right on the mark here, Jake, and I appreciate you bringing it up. It's, it's pretty much around league average is one Oh two. Like, I think I'm rounding up. Hold on. Let me go back. Yeah. One Oh, one Oh one nine here. I found it. Yeah. 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 Yep, exactly. So like, and like, you know, solid for, for a middle infielder yeah. defense first. Yeah. yeah. But that, yeah, I, you know, if you're talking about 20 home runs consistently, like that typically, if you look at most hitters, that's going to be a couple of ticks up to be able to consistently drive. And then I'm looking at his breakdown versus um, pitches. And I, I have a feeling that you and I are pulling from the same data table here. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much all of his damage is against fastballs. And so that mm. can can point to a couple of things, right? pulling the fastball, like you were saying, um, and then how often are you going to be able to do that at the major league level? Um, and how often are you going to uh, be able to handle major league fastballs in that way to when it's out, when the book is out that you're a fastball hitter, right? You're going to get a lot more breaking balls, a lot more off speed, which he um, 
all speed he's the handles he's seen that the least which is not surprising um as a minor league player uh 500 slugging against so that's decent but only two home runs 2.4 percent barrel rate uh contact rate is decent 77.7 uh but yeah, you know, it's nothing that shows that he would be able to damage it. Actually, ground ball rate is the highest there. It's almost 50%. It's 49 mm-hmm. if we're rounding up. Um, and that's much different than his overall ground ball rate then. Right. So, yeah. you know, again, once once that book is out and it's like, oh, we can get this guy to roll over. Um, yeah, he'll make contact and he might get a couple of base knocks off of it. But yeah, we can probably get him to roll over it. He very rarely hits fly balls, 19.5% ground ball or fly balls uh, versus um, all speed pitches that's that's where that adjustment comes and then you have to have what we always hear about the adjustment to the adjustment and what does that look like for a guy like me so right. yeah, that's a good point see this is this is the point of this particular episode where we get things wrong because if i don't go deeper into the numbers i'm talking about his ceiling being this super high ceiling um and it sets you up for potential failure because even if he's doing well he may not be hitting that ceiling and it messes up your expectations and messes up your evaluation. So thank you to my intrepid co-host, Jake, for pulling pulling my coattails, reining me back in. Um, Absolutely. I'm sure you'll repay the favor. <laughs> uh, so the third the, the third promotion that we wanted to get to was talking about Kyle Harrison. Um, we're reading reports, like I was saying, we're recording this on a Sunday, reading reports that he is expected to get promoted to major leagues by the Giants to potentially pitch versus the Phillies on Tuesday um, in their series. Uh, so it sounds like he'll he'll be starting. I didn't read anything that's saying he'll be an opener or it's a full start or what. Um, but I'm, I'm seeing kind of uh, multiple reports from different sources. So many of them are from the same source, and then I've seen a couple more that were independently sourced. So it seems like that should be uh, the case. So if you have Kyle Harrison or expecting to pick him up, um, then you know actually by the time you, you guys hear this we'll, we'll know for sure right because this, this will be out on wednesday he's expected to be pitching on tuesday um so I, I guess the other question i have is i know you want to go long on harrison so i, I want to clear out so you can talk about harrison a bit but i want to ask just with all three of these promotions what do you think um like what are your thoughts when it comes to how the rookie of the year comp pick uh, sort of process now is going to be influencing promotion because it really does seem like that's what's driving at least two of these three promotions. Harrison, yeah. you know, the Giants are kind of out of it in, in general. They kind of need pitching assistance anyway. So, and, and he's been, you know, we've been expecting him to get called up for like the last season and a half. So that may be kind of on a different timeline and, and some other influences there. But Shannon definitely, when it seems like, uh, are being influenced by this rookie of the year comp pick situation. Um, so what are your thoughts? Like we kind of talked about it many episodes ago at the start of the year about how, how fun it was, right. Seeing all these guys getting promoted and, Oh, this is going to be like such a great year, but um, it does take away from, we don't really have September call-ups anymore because of how the roster lineups or the, the roster constructions have changed. So it's not this big open-ended, you know, 15 guys can, can like be riding the pine and you can just yeah. call everybody. Looking back on that, that was wild. <laughs> yeah, um, so it is a lot more constricted in that sense. And so this seems like this kind of takes the place of that. Um, okay. I kind of have my thoughts. I'm, I'm sort of stepping on, on your toes here. Let me clear out. What are your thoughts about this? No, all good. Um, 
you know, I just think that like teams, no matter what the CBA says, the teams are always going to find a way to manipulate service time and their rookies, their, their prospects. Um, because we, we love baseball. We love watching baseball. We love the sport, you know, the players, everything for the owners. It's, it's a money-making process, you know, like they're in it to make money. The team is an asset. The players are assets to help them make money. And like, yeah, they might've gotten in on it because they also enjoy sport or baseball or whatever it may be. But like at the end of the day, this is an investment for them and it's a fantastic investment. They make an insane amount of money year over year. Like the growth is ridiculous. And so they want to keep doing that. They want to maximize the growth and these players to them are assets. They are ways to make that money and they want to protect their assets and hold on to them as long as they can before they start getting their, their union salaries, their, their negotiating power, you know, free agency, all these things like, and so they're going to they're going to squeeze it for everything they got. And it's like that's never going to change. But what I think is happening more often now is that you know players are just I think given given a shot a bit sooner. Um I think we've seen more promotions this year in general specifically like pitching seems to be um super like much quicker now. Um there's been we've seen a ton of pitching prospects and yeah, it might have also been kind of like a perfect storm of like there was a lot of guys on the cusp already, you know, but um, we've seen a lot more guys like skipping double a, especially in PCL teams. Um, and I think that overall, if you know that a guy isn't going to be a top rookie that has, a, you know, the potential to win one of the awards, right. You might be, um, you know, more willing to, to bring them up a little sooner in the middle of the year, but in general, I think it'll be mostly like the beginning of the year, the end of the year, like we're seeing now, like after the 45 days, the, you know, hundred and some, I think it's like 130 plate appearances, you know, um, that's kind of at the end of the year, you see all the guys come up and at the beginning of the year, it's just, um, you know, the same kind of service time and, uh, just in a different way. You're trying to like, okay, let's get this guy up. Maybe he'll win rookie of the year or we, you know, we don't really know we're going to wait, whatever, maybe. Right. Um, but I think the beginning of the year or the middle of the year is always, at least while this is still the case, is going to be kind of like a, like a dead time for prospects. You know, we just saw it like when I was doing the, the pitchers of stash article, I didn't have like a, a graduation or like a promotion from the list for like six to eight weeks in the middle there. Um, and now it's, it's picking up again. And so I think it's just kind of like, it, it's a better situation because there's more incentives to get guys up. There's more incentives to, to let the, you know, let the kids play if, if you will. Um, and so like, I like seeing that more promotions, right. But you're always just going to have this kind of like, Oh, he's not ready. Oh, we want to work on things. Oh, he's magically ready on the 44th day. Um, and then we're not going to play him every day because he's a young guy. He needs seasoning. He needs, you know, to take a break. He needs to learn more, but he also needs to get 125 plate appearances, you know, like, so I don't like, that's never going to change. And I don't think that the floodgates are ever going to open, you know, like yeah. there is always going to be something for teams to, to do there. And it's so, amazing. It's yeah. amazing how much rest uh, a 21 year old's legs really need. Yeah. Like, I'm uh-huh. sure when you're 21 and you're like in the best shape of your life as a right. boy, I think you can probably play like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, in general, and especially with pitching, I think it's it recently, um, I, did, I don't know, team develop. I've been really fascinated to follow specifically Kyle Body on, on Twitter. Uh, or Bodhi, sorry if I'm mispronouncing, um, who used to work with the Reds, who's I think the founder of Driveline and talks a lot about organizational development and like how there's so many teams that are so far behind still that just refuse to innovate that are like, you know, it's like for the sake of keeping your job, not 
to give attention to the the lowest guys in the organization you know the guys that were drafted around like 15 whatever um because it's like oh we invested in all the guys at the top we're going to keep investing in them prove that we know what we're doing and like the best guys work out right that's the whole goal um and then there's some organizations like the rays who are like we need to like get as much as possible out of literally everybody it doesn't matter where they they came from or what the the investment has been and so i think like thinking about pitching specifically um i maybe maybe the angels are like i think someone someone described it and specifically the angels on twitter that it's like they know that they're horrible at player development they're just skipping that part <laughs> and like just get them to the the majors and work with the real coaches yeah. or whatever right yeah, sure. but i think in general it's like save your save your bullets mm-hmm. um and you know we've seen so many guys get tommy john and get injured and i think in general there's just so many bullets that each arm has so many throws that you can make um and you're gonna have the outliers like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, right? But like in general, for like the average major league pitcher, you have so many like so many pitches, and so like why are you wasting them at lower levels, especially if they're talented enough to get by in the majors and, and learn on the fly? Yeah. And so I think that that has a big deal with something to do with the promotions, just kind of like maybe that shift in in philosophy there that's kind of happening too. Um, but again, you're never going to get teams that are like all the teams aren't always going to buy in because some some they're just in so many different places on the development side, you know? Yes, they are. But if I can, I'm going to get a little galaxy brain here. Oh, please. Yes. You said something that like dovetails directly into what I want to go after. Um, when you were talking about, um, Kyle body or Bodie, I don't know how to pronounce either. So my apologies as well. Um, and it's the idea of promoting guys, uh, and promoting the or, or investing in the top tier, right, or the the the, the higher ranked prospects, right? It doesn't yeah. matter. Like this hundred, the, the guy that we picked in the fifteenth round, like don't worry about him. We need to focus on the guys in the first round, second. And if you have done any uh, reading or following of this, um, when contraction, because that's really what it was, when contraction of minor leagues came. Uh, right on the cusp of the COVID season and, and everything, and the cancellation of the minor league season itself. This was the topic. This was an underlying topic of conversation. So I would encourage you all to go back and read the articles from the Athletic. Um, and I'm sure there's uh, there's other writers that did work on this. If I knew off the top of my head, I would collect them and put them in the show notes. But I cannot think of them off the top of my head. I just know I've I've been reading about this in a few different areas. Baseball America, I'm pretty sure had one or two articles on this um the owners would love the owners would love guys if the minor leagues really only was for their highest like level prospects that's right the the g league the nba g league exactly yeah that's really is their end goal absolutely part of my worry about all this great promotion that we're seeing and great prospects coming up oh my goodness now we get to see Mm -hmm. them at the major level is part of me starts to worry mm. wait with this and with the unionization of the minor leagues oh, your man. Point, Jake, right is Son this just a man. long game of hey mm. we'll just we'll be able to shortcut this whole thing yeah. because we already eliminated all of these minor league teams that mm-hmm. we didn't want to have around we would love to do another round of cuts and cut down even more because then we don't have to invest in all this travel we would love to get rid of Less teams mean less players that we have to worry about. 
less players means less players we have to fund. So this union effort, we get to undercut that before it even really gets off the ground. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and to your point about time, Jonathan, we get to reap the benefits because we can just fast track them all the way through. Right. If, if Nolan Chanuel can can skip high A, can skip triple A, get less than 100 plate appearances in, in complex low A and, the, and just make it to right. the majors. And if right. he works out, then why do you need why do well, you need the lower level? Even if he doesn't, just the ability to say, especially with pitchers. Right. So if we turn our focus to pitchers and time, yeah. down, because clearly the pitching philosophy of throwing max effort on every pitch mm-hmm. is not going away. Right. Because that's really what this comes down to, right? Is if when when people say, oh, well, in the 80s and the 90s, these guys didn't have Tommy John like that because they knew how to change speeds and build speeds. Well, the pitching philosophy of, hey, if you can hit 100 consistently, why are you not just throwing 100 consistently? Right. Why are you even right. playing around with letting guys catch up to a 90-mile-per-hour fastball? Right. Like uh, Spencer Strider just did an interview with uh, Pitching Ninja, and he was saying, he was like, why? He's like, command without stuff is just batting practice. And people say, like, oh, I'd rather command it than, like, throw 100 with no command. And he's like, no, you're wrong. Like, right. no one would really, like, do that. That's right. not that's it, not real. It, it did, right? <laughs> yeah. So if that, if that pitching philosophy clearly isn't going to change, right? So that that slider isn't moving anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the only other thing that will change when it comes to young pitchers, development, injuries, that whole sort of nexus is, hey, we much rather them getting to get Tommy John mm-hmm. at double A as a 19, 20 year old, right? If we got them out of high school and accelerate them, fast track them up there, get the, get, get the injury, get the surgery, miss the year, come back, and then we can bounce them double A, triple A on than to be messing around with 18, 19, even 20, 21 year old guys. And they're in, you know, the complex league or whatever, you know, whatever we want to call it, or it was called, you know, prior to that low A. Why mess around with, like you said, there's only a certain number of bullets that you have and we're wasting them all on these lower minors. Mm -hmm. Get them to the upper minors, get them on through. And then we can have them in the major league level. And then they can kind of learn on the fly. Now, do I think do I think teams are going to go full bore and like just mushing like pitchers all the way up through? Like, no, I don't think that it'll be that extreme. But like I said, part of me does think the end game here is yeah. from the ownership level. Like, hey, if we can have another round of cuts to minor league baseball. We would love to do that, right? If we can not, if we can make it so. We can make the draft shorter because, again, that's another piece of it. The draft shortened after COVID. If we can shorten that another five rounds, yep. how much less scouting? That means that we have to pay less mm-hmm. scouts mm-hmm. because we have less players that we have to worry about scouting. Right? It, it all kind of works together. So, again, this is me getting real galaxy brain, obviously. <laughs> But well, you got a point. You got I a point. feel like I'm not that far off, unfortunately. No, no. So no, um, I want to put yeah, I want to put it past him at all. And then that creates a whole. There's just going to be a whole new ways to manipulate international exactly. players. Oh, and because right, and that's just going to be because like you'd spend so. I mean, international players spend so much development mm-hmm. between they're from like you know 16, 17, 18 yep. in the Dominican League, yep. in the Florida Complex League, Arizona Complex League, low A, to set up academies in mm-hmm. Republic or in Puerto Rico or wherever yeah. else, right? 
so we can take that money away because what what do we know the ownership wants that the union has been balking against and it's kind of difficult for them to balk against because again they're kind of speaking on players that aren't players yet Mm. so it's kind of hard for them to be hardcore advocates because they're really supposed to be advocates for existing players not like going to be players part of the reason why they don't represent or well, they don't and did not represent minor league players because they're not major league players. It's the major league players union, right? But same thing with international players is owners would love to have an international draft. Some owners are against it because they have the pockets and they know they've already invested in this pipeline. So that's going to help that undercuts their um, edge that they have in the industry in this, in this sort of sector, right? This first movers edge. But overall, I think most owners would love to have some sort of international draft. Again, if you have an international draft, how many less players domestically, right? If you have a domestic internet, how many less players domestically does that mean you need to draft then? Because I can throw darts in an international or vice versa, right? And again, that's money saved because now there is no more international money pool that I have to worry about because they're yeah. draftees. I just have to sign them, right? We slot them just like we do the domestic draft. We'll slot them out and then I'll just pay for whatever that slot is that I get. And it's always a money-saving, money-cutting maneuver. And so that's my worry about some of this that we're seeing is, yes, it on the face of it, is great for baseball, it's great for fantasy, it's great for folks like ourselves that write and talk about it. But again, I'm always waiting for that other shoe to drop because like nothing, none of this is benevolence, right? It's none of right, it is, right. oh, well, they're just so good, we have to let... Like, there is other machinations at work, and some of it they've already kind of shown their hand, especially with COVID, kind of helped show you know say the quiet part loud when it comes to what they really really want from ownership uh and what their ideal state of sort of minor league and and prospecting would be is a lot less of these guys that they have to worry about essentially so i hate to be a downer and us to go ahead and play on a down note uh we'll come back and we'll talk about how we're wrong and that'll probably bring you guys up that'll make you guys happy so Come here us talk about how we're wrong about things after this. All right, and we are back. Uh, so we broke this down two ways. Uh, we're going to talk about prospects that we were maybe too low on. So guys that have been having pretty healthy season that maybe we lowered our valuation on uh, and, and got that wrong. And then after the next break, we'll talk about um, prospects that maybe we're a little bit too high on and hasn't they haven't really uh, borne out the way we hoped their 2023 uh, would, would bear. So, um, you want me to kick things off, Jake, or you want to go? Yeah, sure. Take it away. All right. Um, so, I have two names here for prospects too low on. One, I still am kind of reserving judgment. This is I'm, I'm kind of hedging my bet here, um, and that's Marco Luciano of the Giants. Um, Luciano, his, his slash line at double A in 56 games this year, 228, 339, 450, uh, 29% K rate. And I mentioned before, I, I only saw him the, the one game, uh, against Erie. He was going against Ty Madden. He looked completely overwhelmed in that red bat. And I kind of walked away being like, huh, uh, I don't know that this kid is going to really pan out in the way that was expected not saying that i thought he was like going to never be a major league baseball player but just the um knowing that there were already questions about approach 
hit tool, like the just the plate skills. We know the power is there, but just the plate skills, there were already questions. And then seeing it live, I was like, oh, yeah, 228 kind of seems like, you know, what he would be batting at the major league level. And then how much is that going to play? How many home runs is he going to need to hit to make himself valuable from a fantasy standpoint? If that's kind of the batting average that he's going to be putting up, if that's even a 339, which is not bad, but um, not necessarily, I think some of that may have been um, sort of inflated. Maybe uh, I don't know if he's a, th- a true, you know, 340. If we round up a point type OBP type guy, um, I think that that OBP is much lower. If that's the case, then you know, a guy that's batting around 230, OBP of what, 330? How many home runs does that player have to hit to really be substantial to you in a fantasy standpoint? Um, but he, he showed power, got promoted to AAA. He went on a, a power binge through AA, like shortly after I saw him, as a matter of fact. Uh, got promoted to AAA. The slash line still wasn't super impressive, but was hitting full power uh, and then got the promotion. and. Even at uh, the the handful of games that he's played, still showing high K rate and high swing percentage, which helps lead to a lot of the um, K rate. But I'm thinking maybe I was too low on him um, simply because not factoring in how young he still is. And I think that's the piece that I'm reflecting on. It's like this guy's in the major leagues and he just turned 21, I believe. If I don't have his page up in front of me. I don't know if you have it, Jake. But I believe he just turned 21 because I think this was his year 21 season. Feel I'm like 80% sure that I'm right about that. Um, so, uh, you know, just not factoring in youth and like if he's a major league player, what does his year 23 look like? What does his year 24 look like after he's been able to be at the major league level over time? Where other guys that are 23 and 24 year old year olds um, would just now be making their uh, MLB debut, right? Like as hitters. And what what is that going to what what difference that time will make? So if I can take kind of like one lesson learned from each player here, that's my lesson learned when it comes to Marco Luciano. It's like, yeah, some of the numbers might be ugly. It's not this nice packaged, easy look at things. But a he did get promoted to the major leagues, which that's that's the end goal. Quite honestly, for all prospects, is to make it to the majors, and um, he did so at still a incredibly young age which means he, like, we talk about margin of error all the time. The margin of error for him from an age standpoint means he can accumulate some at-bats and have some ugly early seasons that who knows at year, like I said, 24, 25, 26, if he's making an all-star team, we look back and we go, oh, yeah, he, he, it was kind of crummy that first year or so that he was as a major leaguer, but like nobody remembers, right? Everybody use, loves to use Mike Trout as the example of that. Um, not saying they're one and the same, but, it is good to remember that, you know, people can put up crummy lines and still be very good because they they're very young doing this. And that's part of what is driving them being so good. Um, so that's my one. I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Luciano or if you just want to go into um, one of your guys. Um, yeah, Luciano, I um, yeah, I haven't like he's, he's one of the guys that I'm not kind of not super. In, I guess knowledgeable about you know I mean, he's not really on my radar not really on my teams um and I've been kind of like like complacent about him you know um, but everything you're saying makes sense and I think that the the age 
thing specifically is interesting. I think that'll come into play with, with my guy um, too. It's just kind of like paying attention to what like age to level in general. Um, and like when, it, like when we, like we had a conversation in, in an earlier episode is like, when does it become relevant? Um, and yeah, it's just kind of like, that's always, that's always a question, you know? Um, my second person, um, so I'll go, I'll, I'll do both of mine and then you can do both of yours. We'll do it. That cool. Way. So my second person is, uh, Tamar Johnson, Tamar Johnson, somebody I was low on and, Part of it was just general hype of me just being like, I, that hype is just about this kid being like the best hitter, like by far. It was just that that's a lot as a teenager. Like he didn't even play college ball. That's a lot. Some of it was me looking at swing mechanics and just being like, there's clearly something that I'm missing. Now, I'm not I, I'm not <laughs> prideful enough or egotistical enough to think like I know everything there is about hitting because I definitely don't. So I'm like, if I'm seeing some like multiple a variety of different sources that i i go to to learn talk about how great this guy is as a hitter if i'm looking at his swing mechanics and i'm like okay but the bat rap um the sort of hit, the, the way he's transitioning power there was like a couple of other things that i was looking at at the time that was like ah uh, okay how's that going to continue to develop right it's not a problem now as a teenager facing teenage competition but as that grows like how's that going to work i'm like maybe there's just i'm I'm missing something okay but i was still like he's not somebody i'm going after fypd necessarily unless like it definitely falls my way where like you have to take him as as the pick but he wasn't somebody i was like gunning for or hunting for um and the other big thing was i was like well he's already second base really only right i think in high school he had played short but Everybody kind of knew, like, nah, he, he doesn't really have the range to be a major leaguer at short. He's really going to be a second baseman. And I was like, he's pretty developed physically as well. And, like, how is that going to work as well? If he's 18 and he's kind of already filled out, if he continues to fill, if he puts on any other weight at all, muscle or otherwise, where does he play, right? Where's where's he going to end up playing? And then what does that do to his hit tool as well, right? Because is he still going to be as dynamic? Well... Uh, you know, right now he's smacking the mess out of the ball <laughs> in both low and high A. So looking very foolish there. I looked at his 90th percentile um, EVs while he was at um, low A in the in the Florida um, Complex League. Uh, 105.6 is the 90th percentile EV for him. And again, we talked about the average, and this is very rough math on my part. So if I don't have this down exactly, I apologize. I'm sure somebody's going to hit us and be like, that's not the exact number. I'm sorry. Very rough math says the um, average for the league is around 100 miles an hour for 90th percentile EV. So, like, he's well above that um, that average. Smacks the mess out of the ball, showing a lot of, uh, more power than I think I expected out of him. I think going in, everybody's talking about his hit tools. I'm thinking, oh, he knows how to work a walk. Um, he's going to be able to spray the ball around, but not necessarily thinking that the power is going to translate as well as it has now again i'm hedging my bets a little bit like i did with luciano because 14 games so far at high a 25 percent k rate still has had mid-teens walk rates at every level so i'm talking like his lowest i think is right now and it's 16 percent uh walk rate he's he's had tremendous walk rate so you know there is some offset there when it comes to his obp 
220, 361, 460 is the triple slash in 14 games. You see the difference there, right? 220 batting average, 361 OBP. It helps when you have a mid-team walk rate to drive up that OBP. Um, I think, like I said, I'm hedging my bets a little bit about like him as a dynamic hitter. It may be a little bit more power than we expected, but there may be a sacrifice in batting average than what was expected as well. So he might be a guy that has very nice OBP uh, rates for you. And if you're in the OBP league, that value goes up. But if you're in a batting average league and you're expecting him to be around a 300 hitter, you may have to, you know, adjust those expectations greatly because that may not be the case. He may be in that 240-250 mix. And it may be a big difference <laughs> because he knows how to walk um, as well as he does. Uh, but again, the the home runs is, again, where it really kind of blew my mind. But I didn't see that coming. So, again, if I kind of summarize all that together and have one sort of takeaway, it's maybe trusting, you know, trusting sources, right? <laughs> if I'm if people are reporting on things, sometimes the hype is real for a reason, or at least most of it is real. Um, and then waiting for some data, right? So if I had seen a little bit more, read a little bit more about these EVs and like trusted that, uh, I probably would have adjusted my expectations about what he could possibly be doing a little bit different. So those are my two, Tamar Johnson, Marco Luciano. I think I was a little bit too too low on them. Hedge my bets a little bit, but overall, I think a little bit too low on those guys. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I think I was in the very similar spot with, with Tamar too. He wasn't really um, someone that I was considering much in, in FYPDs. You know, it was like, well, if you can be at the top, it's definitely um, – you know, holiday or Jones. And, um, and then I was like, and then after that, I'm like, ah, I think I'd rather be kind of in the, the back half even, you know, like I don't really want to play with like uh, Elijah green or Johnson, you know, or, or even Senga, I wasn't too high on also a mistake. Um, and so, so yeah, no, I definitely see kind of where you were at, but it's super encouraging to see where he is now. Now I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, if I can, if I'm, you know, in a position where I could potentially pick him up, I, I absolutely would. Yeah. Um, I actually had yeah. him on, uh, last week's prospect watch list or the week before's prospect watch list as um even though he's obviously super well known and the watch list is really for under radar under the radar types but because i think um he might be undervalued like i think you could potentially be again with that batting average being as low as it is um the numbers you there's a i think there's a a path in some leagues where somebody who got tomorrow because they're were drafting high, probably rebuilding team. Right. Probably saw him as like the gem of their draft that their their rebuild is going to kind of hinge around, and may not see the gaudy counting stats that they wanted to see, and may be out on him um, because they're not looking at the underlying data. There might be in those leagues you probably want to be floating some offers to that manager and just testing the waters of seeing you could get uh, Tamar Johnson for much lower than what he probably is actually worth. Um, so that's why I had him on the watch list because he's been doing so well, kind of under the radar, even though he was such a high draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we don't have to get into this a whole lot, but it just kind of reminds me of, of the general drafting kind of dilemma between like, you know, the guys with the low, with the high floors that will help you sooner. And then the young guys that could skyrocket, you know, that could be the next, you know, Jackson holiday and, um, even I think Tamar has kind of that that upside, you know. Um, and like we we're talking about with the Angels, like I think you said that they're probably going to keep doing this, and I would agree. 
but like how much are they going to lose out on actual talent? You know, um, what could they have had? And are they just going to kind of play the middle? They're going to be like, um, like how I think of kind of like the White Sox were for the longest time between 2005 and when they finally rebuilt and when they traded sale. It was just kind of playing the middle, signing a bunch of veterans, you know, like their drafts were horrible, you know, and the Angels, I mean, like maybe they're just like not quite going to tear everything down, even if Shohei leaves and just kind of kind of like push up their their prospects, get guys that are close and keep trying to see if they could hit lightning, you know. Um, with the team that was never really built to be a dynasty, you know, like they're yeah, kind of going to be there. The Angels had one ju- uh, one draft that was uh, oops, all pitchers, right? Instead yeah, of yeah, Aries. yeah. <laughs> then, they had, then they had another one or another couple of ones where it's just like, yeah, now we're going to uh, shift that and we're going to go full bore into uh, how fast can we get these guys to the majors? Um, yeah, and and I agree with you. Like, I, I think if that continues and i could maybe i'm maybe this is nothing that i'm wrong about maybe shohei leaves and maybe they fire the gm which probably doesn't happen but maybe that actually does happen and you know new gm comes in and says like well that philosophy doesn't work and we actually do need to you know have those dart throws and, and go after those those younger prep guys or just younger college guys that could you know potentially turn into real superstars maybe all that happens but i think Shohei does leave and GM does stay. I don't think that philosophy changes. And yeah, I do think it's a matter of just how can we become competitive again, right? Competitive in our division. And I think you kind of cut off your nose to spice your face by saying, you know, we'll play the middle. We'll get good enough and good enough will be exactly that, right? You won't be under 500, but you're probably not going to be outpacing the Rangers. You're probably not going to be outpacing the Mariners or the Astros. Um, in which case, you know, then what are you really doing? Yeah. And then on, on, it's kind of similar on your fantasy team, you know, like what, what's your, what, what do you do in an FYPD? Do you take Tamar? Do you take Senga? Or do you, you know, like I took specifically what made me think of this was I took, uh, Manzardo over, um, over Jackson holiday. I had, I think the sec, I had the second pick and I think the first was drew Jones and it was a more of a supplemental draft. Mm-hmm. And so there was prospects all that were on the wire were still available. And Manzardo wasn't even the, in, in the Yahoo pool until the off season because Yahoo sucks. And um, so he was available and I, I took him instead of Jackson holiday and what a horrible pick, mm. you know, like it, at the time it was like, okay, so Manzardo is going to be up in 2023, right. like fantastic. You know, like all the hype around Manzardo. Right. And holiday is, it's going to take 18, time. 19. It's going to yeah. be time. You know, I want to try to be competitive this year with all that. Right. And then it's like, man, like they're going to, they're going to probably debut within a year of each other. Yeah. Right. You know? right. At this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and holiday could, I, I could probably have put holiday on this list only because I was never very super vocal about him. The vocal, the most vocal I got was I really, really wanted the Orioles to take Drew Jones. I thought that was just like an obvious pick, right? Hmm. Bloodlines. Five tool player, and it, it was more pro Jones than it was anti Holiday. Yeah. Holiday really the the thing with him at the time was he looked, even though he's, I mean they're they're all like large men, especially compared to me, like the Holiday <laughs> the Holiday family. Like, he has the the younger brother Ethan, who who you know uh, could be the best of them. Who knows mm-hmm. uh, with how he's he's tearing things up? But they're all you know quite quite tall, but. I didn't know where the power was going to come from with his swing. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, okay, he can play short. That's great. 
Um, he's kind of got his own bloodlines. That's cool. Uh, but where's the power going to come from consistently at short to be, you know, as big of an impact back to go along with what the Orioles seem to already have been developing. And that's why I was like, I, Jones, I can see it all kind of, you know, I could kind of, I thought, you know, I was, I see exactly how this is going to lock into place. And who knows? I mean, he's been dealing with injuries, which nobody can, or very rarely can you ever foresee that. Um, so who knows what his his career is going to turn into if he is able to remain healthy. Uh, Drew Jones, that is. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm so glad to have been wrong as far as Jackson Holiday when it comes to my favorite team, the, the, the Orioles, because, yeah, you're talking about 2024. He looks like he could be the opening day shortstop. Uh, of a of yeah. a playoff bound team, right? right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you get things wrong, no matter what. I made mean, that that may be our overall lesson of this whole thing. Is just sometimes it's just you're bound to get things wrong, no matter how much data you crunch, no matter how much tape you're looking at, how many you know pieces that you're reading. It's just nobody can completely foresee uh, players making a certain jump or just adapting in a, in a way that you just, you know, I don't think anybody saw Jackson Holiday essentially not struggle. Like, he's had maybe a two-week period at, like, each stop, maybe, where he's like, yeah, oh, he's maybe. not hitting. As much. And then it's like, oh, now he hit five home runs in, like, yeah. a period or something. You know, it's like something insane. Uh, and it's, it's just been consistently going that way. So, yeah. yeah. Have you seen the um... – there was a video that went kind of semi prospect baseball world Twitter viral. Um, it was a video of Ethan, uh, Ethan holidays swing at like a showcase event um, from the side. I think it was at Rangers ballpark. Um, did you see that video by chance? I've seen a side. I've seen a couple side view videos of Ethan holiday at like showcase events. I don't know if it's yeah. that one. Fair. Uh, but there was, yeah, there was one, I think that kind of, that started popping off on, on Twitter in the last like two weeks or so, but I, I was watching it and it, it sounded great. You know, context sounded great and it's something I couldn't shake and it might just be the fact that I am not a baseball scout. Um, but he looked very upright in his follow through. Mm. Like he wasn't really in his legs a whole lot. So like usually you see from the side angle, you see that front leg at maybe a, I don't know, maybe like a 45 degree angle, you know, cause you stride forward, you plant your foot and then you twist your back foot, all that stuff. You, and, and that, that front, that front leg is at an angle because you're really kind of like underneath your hips and you're driving through the ball and you know, whatever with him, I, I saw that that front leg was really straight and he was really tall through contact. And that was like the only thing, like everything else was fantastic, but that I just couldn't like, I watched it so many times that I couldn't quite get past it as if, you know, maybe he, maybe he's not quite getting all the power he could out of that swing. Um, not saying that I don't think he's going to be a bust or anything like that, but that was just one thing I kind of caught on that was like, oh, maybe I don't, I don't know if I'm over, over analyzing it, right. but I was like, it just looks like he's not quite fully balanced and like, right. like fully in his legs and getting everything out of that. Yeah. It just kind of pops up a little bit, you know, I, it's just too upright, too straight. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, I would, I would have to go back, but I was having a whole DM conversation when uh, talking about Tamar Johnson and, and breaking down his swing in the same way where I was like, is it just me or is it like, do you see this, this, this? And the guy was like, no, like I, I kind of see what you're talking about. And I kind of had this conversation too. So you can look, like I said, you can look at tape, you can look at 
um, you know, video or, or whatever little tidbits or, it, you know, if you're uh, able to go and see guys in person. And sometimes you just kind of get certain things in your head, you know, good and bad. Right. We're, we're going to talk about mm-hmm. prospects that we were too high on um, in a bit. And, you know, that it goes the other way, too, where you're like, oh, this guy's a stud. This guy's a super. They're so obvious. And then they go up a level and it's like, oh, <laughs> I was wrong about that because now they can't hit fastball. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, it, it's tough. But it's fun, right? That's the whole fun of the whole bit. All right, stop stalling, Jake. I gave. Oh yeah, fair. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, guys that I was I was too low on. Uh, First and foremost uh, was Jordan Lawler. He's established himself as a top, at least a top ten, probably a top five guy now. Um, I I in the off season, I went through and did like a top one hundred and fifty prospect list for uh, for pitcher list. I think we did like a kind of combined. Uh, consolidated list for a handful of writers and and I was going through and I wasn't really paying attention to like the guys themselves right I was just looking at their numbers and like um, some footage where I could but you know it's a whole process right and so I I didn't give I probably didn't give Lawler the attention that that I needed to but he ended up in like the 40 to 50 range just by looking off of like uh, you know stat lines and um, mostly stat lines you know and I and I was trying to think of why because like I went back and looked and I was like wait that's Jordan Lawler that I have pretty far back like what am I what am I thinking here and I think what I saw was the the plate approach concern um, you know the strikeout rate in high and low A and high A low A was twenty three percent and then he got the promotion to high A last year and it was twenty five point four percent and then he got another promotion to double A and went up to twenty eight point nine and so I was like man like that's not it's not great. The walk rate is still good is double digits at each one, but again, kind of dropped a little bit with each promotion. Um, but I think the thing to remember there is that he was 19 throughout 2022 and 19 at each of those promotions at, you know, high A, double A. And um, he, he put up a 165 WRC plus in low A and a 140 WRC plus in high A um, in 208 plate appearances and 130 plate appearances respectively. So decent samples of, of production, but you know, I was looking at I was looking at the strikeout rates. I was looking at uh, isolated slugging numbers were going down, and it was like I don't know. You know, like probably too much, probably too much in the stat line for me, and too much on that on that strikeout rate because I don't I don't love to ding guys so much because of that. Um, and I think for I was like, well, I mean, if he's going to be a top top ten guy, I feel like I would want to be a bit more sure about that. But what has he done this year? he went back to double a where he only had 97 plate appearances last year after his second promotion mm-hmm. or third promotion. And this year he had 410 plate appearances at double a before being promoted again to triple a. Um, and he had a 21.7% strikeout rate or that 11.5% walk rate. So he drastically improved. You put uh, an isolated slugging up of two eleven, which again, drastically improved on the kind of decreases that we had seen across promotions uh, 121 WRC plus, uh, only hit 263, but he had a fantastic on base percentage, 366, and he hit for, I would say he'd hit for more power overall, um, at a, you know at double A, and he made those adjustments, I think, which was key, which I didn't, you know, didn't really foresee, and I think it was just again like kind of like an age to level thing, like yeah, he struggled after being promoted, but he was promoted four times in his age 19 season across complex low a high a double a i think at some point it's going to catch up to you you know 
And I think maybe it was more like, oh, well, the organization still believes in him. He was their first round pick. They're going to shoot him through. And I think the struggles are kind of like outshined by just the raw skills. And I think if you watched him more often than I did, I think you probably would have seen that. Yeah. And so I think it's a product of like not being able to get film on everybody mm-hmm. and looking for a reason to not looking for a reason, but like seeing a reason to not give a guy top 10 status because you're looking at the strikeout rate and thinking, ah, if you're doing a 25.4% and 130 plate appearances at high A, what are you going to do in the majors? Right. You know, Jackson but he's like, Trier. he's a 19 year old kid. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson Trier isn't doing that. Jackson Holiday right. isn't doing that. And I know that they're, you know, top five material. So hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's what you look at. Uh, bias is, is real. What was that? I was saying that confirmation bias uh, is real. Yeah. Right? When you see right. you're like, I knew this guy wasn't it because of this right. one thing, this one stat mm-hmm. is all I need to see to tell me that he wasn't it. Right. And well, and you look at this year, uh, two and eight, I have the data for AAA that I don't have for AA. Um, and it's a smaller sample of AAA. It's only 19 plate appearances. So like you can't, again, like, but prospecting is also the world of small samples. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, strikeout rate, 10.5%. At AAA so far, walk rate twenty one point one, overall contact rate eighty four point four. It's fantastic. Um, and so my biggest concern about him, essentially the hit tool, you know, the plate discipline, contact, everything like that. In so far in AAA, outrageous, fantastic. Even has a couple barrels for a fifteen percent barrel rate, um, which again not predictive, but you know he's doing it. He's doing. He's you know hitting the ball pretty hard. Fantastic play discipline uh, so far. Just building off of what he already, the improvements he already made at Double A. You know, um, even if it doesn't end up with a like what a two to one strikeout to walk ratio or walk to strikeout ratio, um, it, I think it's still there's still a change there. There was still a skill that was improved upon that I don't think is going away. And I think that's now what is cementing him as top five is the hit tool is in fact legit and he is still super fast and he has some pretty good power. So he's going to be an impact shortstop. And, you know, I was wrong not to have him in the top 10, top 15, top 20, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think that that's, that was the biggest one for me was kind of like just discounting him a little bit too much and being like, ah, well, the other shoe is going to drop or, you know, like, ah, like it's going to catch up to him at some point. And if you're good enough, don't, you know, doesn't necessarily always happen. Yeah. Uh, Great. I I have no, I have no points to add. Uh, it's great sort of deep diving and thinking about how you were considering Lawler and, and what has changed uh, from then to now. Uh, who's your, your second person that you were maybe a little bit too low on? Yeah, the second one is uh, Zach Geloff with the athletics. And with him, it was different because, you know, Lawler was kind of like expected to be a, a top guy. Uh, Geloff has kind of been more of like a, you know, expected to be like a top 100 guy. Um, not necessarily like, what was that for? Yeah. Fringe 100. Right. Like not necessarily like a top guy, but like could be solid, you know? Um, but I looked at him and I was like, well, like, you know, nothing's really sticking out as like carrying a, you know, carrying tool. Again, the plate approach isn't great. Uh, plays for the athletics, horrible ballpark, horrible organization, all these things. Right. And it was just kind of enough for me to pretty much cast them aside um, and what he then did this year, again, repeating AAA, he got the promotion at the end of, of 2022 to AAA for, uh, about 10 games and in, in repeating AAA this year, he, um, it, 
drastically improve the walk rate specifically. Um, minor improvements to the strikeout rate, um, but he put up more power. Uh, he hit uh, he hit twelve homers, two twenty four isolated slugging in AAA this year, um, and he had a one twenty three WRC plus. Um, you know, still not quite enough to like put him on my my radar necessarily. Um, but I think those the the you know slight gains in approach, the better power numbers. He also stole way more bases, and I think I I kind of missed him becoming a viable major league option as quickly as he did. Um, now with that being said, I did end up picking him up in in one of my redraft leagues in a fifteen teamer. Um, I mentioned here before the um, the wharf, the Waffle House area rotisserie fantasy league. Um, I picked him up there and he's been great. He's been fantastic. Um, I picked him up as a bench option because um, Altuve uh, Altuve was injured to start the year. And then he kind of, I can't remember if he actually went on the injury list, but he had another injury uh, maybe a, three weeks after he came back. And so I was like, oh, I think I need more depth in the infield, specifically second base. And so I picked him up and he's been playing all the time for me because he has eight homers and seven stolen bases and 130 plate appearances. Uh, he's hit 302. And I mean, he's been fantastic. He's a 174 WRC plus. Uh, and I don't think these are true, true talent skills, but I think what's really fascinating about, about Geloff is that it's, it's a very good representation of like the, the kind of the, the battle between quality of contact and the contact itself and the ability to make contact versus like like if you're going to make contact not as often, but it's really good contact or you make contact more often, it's not as good contact. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because like looking at his, uh, his bad at ball quality, it's been fantastic in the majors, like truly, truly great. Um, 13% barrel rate in 82 batted balls, average exit velocity, 91.7, uh, his expected Woba on contact. I've mentioned it before. It's one of my favorite stats 453. That is truly insane, um, you know, especially for a, a second baseman on on the A's where you wouldn't think to kind of see that, right? Um, and then what was the other? It was a hit, the 43.9% hard hit. Um, and even looking at his, his kind of like launch angle distribution, he doesn't put the ball on the ground. He hits a ton of fly balls and a ton of line drives. Uh, it's a bit more extreme than what we saw in like the higher levels of the minors. So I think it'll probably regress a little bit, but still overall, you know, hits more fly balls and line drives than he does ground balls in general. Um, and he hits the ball really hard. Um, and let me just bring up his triple A, triple A batted ball real quick. Um, so let's see. So he had a, yeah, yes, he had a, 25% line drive, 30% fly ball in AAA. And so, yeah, it's not as quite as extreme, but still I think a little bit uh, a little bit more than average. Ground ball, 41%. So, you know, maybe that kind of levels out a little bit. He had a 12.3% barrel in AAA. Um, so you're thinking, okay, like that's probably legit. Um, and then exit velocities uh, are similar. The, what, the one interesting thing here is the max exit velocity is only 107.6 in the majors. It was 108.2 in AAA, and that's interesting because you uh, like how I mentioned before with uh, win, you don't usually see a 110 max EV with a 3% barrel rate. You don't usually see a 107.6 with a 13% barrel rate, right? That's kind of on the other end of the the weird spectrum. Um, and so it's like, ah, maybe the raw power isn't quite as good as what he's been able to do. And 
that might be just enough to hold someone back uh, when you also consider his plate approach. Um, and let's see here, really bad zone contact rate, about league average chase. And I had the the whiff overall 30, yeah, 35% whiff. Uh, and the MLB average is 24. And so you're right, like, you know, you know, Saris and uh, um, uh, Derek Van Riper just did a, an episode of Rates and Barrels recently. We're talking about uh, chase rate for hitters and and how predictive is it, and and how age comes into play. Like the the players who can usually be have have more longevity usually have better chase rates. And the kind of first thing that the first thing that falls is that chase rate. You know, Jose Abreu. Uh, George Springer hasn't been as bad as you would expect or like guys like that, right? They talked about that a lot. And, you know, so, but there's a a group of players that can get away with a 26, 27% strikeout rate, you know, um, that swing and miss more often because their bad at ball quality is, is good enough, right? It's better. And so if you think that Zach Galoff will, will not quite maintain the level that he's had so far, because it's probably un- unattainable long-term, but if he can stay very similar and just be above average at quality of contact, then I think that you, you believe that he can then overcome his uh, shortcomings and just making contact right where I was with him. I was like, I just didn't believe that he did have that, that he did have that quality of contact to back up the issues that he was having with approach. And so I think um, I talked about on my first episode of this podcast, I said, usually I don't, dismiss a guy because of a high strikeout rate if he also walks a lot or if there's something else that will carry him and kind of make up for that and it's honestly tough to stick with that kind of mindset because you have to know a lot about the player's profile because one set of skills isn't going to work for every single player but each individual player has a set of skills that will work for them and a high strikeout rate can can be something that can be over overcome but you have to have something else to like make up for it um and there isn't like one answer, right? You, there isn't like a, if it's over 27%, you have to hit the ball this hard. Yeah. There's nothing like that. And so it's a case by case basis. That it's incredibly hard to predict and more misses are exist here than, than hits. Um, and so I don't have a, <laughs> a magic, like magic solution here, but I think I just, my point is that I didn't believe that Geloff had the the thunder in his bat that he does that's allowing him to be fantastic so far you know the speed is what it is 94th percentile sprint speed he's going to steal bases um and i think the power is more legit than i expected it it would be yeah i mean i think that's a, a great deep dive on get off somebody that i was low on as well um i think i mentioned uh, in passing on, on an episode of being like oh you know did the thing at triple a and like that was cool but i kind of thought oh maybe he's more of a utility type bat something of that right name. um and yeah sh- showing the possibility of being uh at least more than that more in the everyday player role so great breakdown there what we're going to do is take a break come right back finish up talking about prospects we were a little bit too high on um that that have uh maybe not worked out uh so far the way we had planned right after this This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. 
Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or underdog fantasy in the app store sign up with promo code pitcher list and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 must be 18 year older 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8 Hope and why in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789. All right. And we are back. So, uh, like I said, we were going to talk about prospects. We're a little bit too high on my, my first one. I'll go and say it's, it's kind of a mixture, um, both of prospect and I guess system technically, uh, I, I gotta say I was a huge, and I, again, hedging my bets. I still kind of am interested, but, um, just not nearly as much. But huge Brandon Fott fan. I think you guys remember. Like, continued to have conversations. Was super excited when he got promotions. Definitely thought that uh, some of the buzz that we're seeing about, you know, some writers that we're saying, or some writers and analysts were like, ah, I don't know about this guy actually. Fastball shape seems to be suspect. This I was like, ah, they're just trying to drop down the hype. Um, that like, it'll be good. It'll be fine. Right. Like, man, he might get knocked around. That's okay. He's a fly ball pitcher, but like overall, this guy struck out 200 plus in PCL. Like that means something. And what that means, I don't know still because he got smacked around a lot in the major leagues. Um, and, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't any of those starts or very many, any, very many of those starts, excuse me, where, you know, you, you can kind of look and say, Oh, well, he was good for this couple of innings and then the guy away from him, right? You'll see pitchers of all sorts, um, but especially young pitchers will have those, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, he was, you know, was flying through the first three innings. Um, a guy that I think you're going to mention later on uh, in Taj Bradley, right? He had quite a few of those. Where it was like, oh, yeah, first three innings was good. Uh, then it was like hit, hit, walk, hit, you know, runs came around. And then it kind of was just like, oh, downhill from there. And now he's got four earned runs and they're pulling him, you know, after like three and two thirds or something like that. Um, yeah. Fought was just like pitch one got smacked. <laughs> Any one he got smacked and he, the second he got smacked, um, you know, he walked in the ballpark uh, and it just, it, that kind of fell apart. And so it's fought, but it's also kind of the Arizona pitching uh, crop uh, or the crop of Arizona pitching prospects. Um, fought was somebody I was super high on. Drake Jameson, you and I both uh, were were pretty interested in. Ryan Nelson, uh, I was still somewhat interested in. wasn't super high on, but I definitely was interested in him. Uh, Slade Ciccone, Bryce Jarvis, Blake Walston, less so. But they kind of round out that pack of me just kind of thinking, like, wow, there's a lot of talented arms that Arizona's building up, you know, some interesting ways. Curious to see how they'll be deploying. Like, they, they seem like a team, like, on the rise and ready to, you know, kind of, make their run at the West, which they did for some time this season before starting to fall away. Uh, and, and a big part of why they fell away was the pitchers that they leaned on just weren't, weren't doing it for them. Uh, and so 
I think my takeaway here, uh, if I had to sum this one up, is A, probably don't go full bore into investing in any uh, farm system, like especially when it comes to like pitching prospects. We know mm-hmm. the old adage of like you need five pitchers to, to get one, like five pitching prospects to get one pitching, uh, one uh, good pitcher. And like there's a reason that that adage has existed. So for me, I probably need to like temper the I'm all in on this farm system's pitching prospects, especially. Uh, and then thinking about Fox specifically, like I said, I mean, he's still quite young. And I, I mean, this is an extreme comparison and it is not a one to one comparison. I have to put that disclaimer out there but like max scherzer was a pitcher for the arizona diamondbacks he was not exceptional until he really went to detroit like he kind of had to leave and go elsewhere to be great i'm not saying brandon fight is max scherzer i'm not saying they're anywhere close other than being professional major league pitchers like that's the i'll leave the similarities there the reason why i bring that up is that is another Arizona Diamondback pitcher that we've seen um, that, where it just didn't work out early on in Arizona and he had to go elsewhere. So, you know, Fod, I think, is not old enough and has only given us, you know, the better part of one season at the major league level. Uh, you know, if you had him as an ace, then, yeah, I think you can temper that expectation. But am I still interested in Fod as a major league pitcher and maybe he's more – the upside is a middle rotation guy. The floor is hoping for a back end rotation piece. Like I think that's an exceptional way to um, bring your expectations down. But if like, if he got dropped in a dynasty, unless it's like a 12 teamer, right. If I was in a 15 plus dynasty and he just got dropped, I'm picking him up. Like I'm not just going to let that talent just walk out. Um, right. without seeing, some additional, you know, what does an off season look like, right? What is coming off in the off season and going into a major, a full major league season look like for Brandon Fott? Like, let me see some of that stuff before I can just write this guy off uh, completely. But yeah, my, my lesson overall is probably just like maybe temper the expectations when it comes to a, a team's full, like farm system of pitchers. <laughs> um, my second prospect that I was way too high on, uh, and it took me a minute, and then once I thought about it, I was like, oh, duh, this should be obvious. This probably should be my number one. Uh, Axel Sanchez of the Seattle Manners. Um, not super high, but I think he was one of those sort of industry darlings where he had a really young guy who had a really nice um, 2022 at low A, um, which is a hitter-friendly league as well. Got to keep that in mind. Uh, and then Seattle, maybe aggressively, maybe appropriately, who knows, um, assigned him to high A to start this season. He got, he had uh, um, a handful of games at high A last season, but they started him this season at high A. Uh, it's not looked good at all. It's looked pretty much overmatched. The numbers have not been kind. Uh, he did run into an injury midseason where uh, it took some sleuthing to figure out like why he wasn't in the lineup and, and he was dealing with the injury. But he was bad before the injury. He was bad coming off the injury. <laughs> uh, it's just been bad. Right now it is a uh, he put up a 305, 401, 618 triple slash last year. Uh, one That was good for a 154 WRC+. This year it's 199, 285, 353. 
uh, with his WRC plus pretty much cut more than in half at 73. So yeah, um, now if I apply my Marco Luciano principle here, he is still very young, right? And this may have been a more aggressive assignment by the Mariners. Uh, I imagine he's going to repeat the year. Like there's no reason for him not to. They didn't demote him, which is always a bad sign, right? Because you don't want to take that confidence away from any uh, player, especially a young guy. So, you know, he's going to repeat the level next year. It's going to be a little bit, you know, older, a little bit more mature in that sense. Uh, he still will be on a very good uh, team, uh, even though I, I imagine some of the guys that he was playing around will be gone. So high A is uh, Everett. If you're following Everett, that is where Gabriel Gonzalez is, Harry Ford, Tyler Locklear. Um, those are kind of like the big name guys. I don't think I'm missing anybody else. Those are kind of like the three big name guys. I imagine two of those three guys, probably Ford and Locklear, are going to be gone halfway through next year. Locklear probably would have got promoted if he wasn't injured. Ford, I think, has done everything at that level that they need him to do, both defensively and offensively. Uh, so it might just be Gonzalez and, and Sanchez <laughs> to hold down Everett. Um, but I still think, you know, the the lower levels of the minors, actually, I, I lie because the lower level of the minors, uh, you have like Colt Emerson, who they just drafted, who's already looking very good. Ty P is already looking very good. So those guys could quickly move up. I say all that to say he could still be in a very good uh, team environment, run environment as far as, um, his his counting numbers can go, and maybe he just needs an extra year of seasoning at that level. Uh, so I think I expected him to put up a line closer to his 2022, and that clearly didn't happen. And so for that, he's on this list. But I'm still keeping an eye on him uh, going into next year just to see applying my Marco Luciano principle. Uh, so maybe that's my lesson from Axel Sanchez is here's a test case to apply your first lesson of – Remembering how young a guy is and applying that and actually letting him season and marinate, so to speak, um, a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes it might just take a little longer, you know, um, we're like, yeah, even there's been a pretty steep drop off. But like you said, still keep up with it and, and see if, if anything changes because it could it could change the other way just as just as fast, you know. Uh, yeah, still, you know, some raw, the raw skills are there and. And you never know how that's going to go. Um, and for me, go, going into my guys, uh, first one is the guy that I thought would be the best hitting prospect in baseball by the end of this season, uh, Jason Dominguez. And Russian alert. It's, it's, it's an extra terrestrial alert. Uh, <laughs> wait, now, now, in all seriousness, were you, was that what you were buying into was him coming in as a national free agent? And like the hype that was driving that, or was there that plus things that you had kind of seen or read, or because international guys, are all, it's, it's always difficult. We, we talk about yeah. it all the time, so I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Well, it was kind of like the it was like the post hype thing, where it's like we've already been there, we've already done, we've already said he's the next Mike Trout or Mickey Mantle or whatever, right? right? We've right. already put all the expectations on him, and it looks like he could be a bust. But then I was looking at it, and I was like he's not a bust even like yet. Like he's still good. He's still like, it's like, he still has those kind of like the, the raw skills, the the talent that led people to believe that he could be incredible. But then when he got on the field and he put up the actual stat lines, it wasn't as good as what we expected. And so it's like, oh, okay, that's not going to happen. 
but the stat lines were still solid and like I could see improvement in like the approach and whatnot. And, um, and I'm like, and he still looks good. He's still physically gifted. Like he could still kind of like reach that potential, even if a lot of people have kind of like given up on it. Um, and so what I was looking at specifically was like in, in low a, he carried a 31% strikeout rate in 2021 and a 27.5% strikeout rate in 2022 at low A again. And those were across uh, 200 plate, 214 plate appearances and 324 plate appearances. So that's a large sample um, with a at like a almost a 30% strikeout rate overall. Um, and then when he got promoted to high A in 2022 for 184 plate appearances, he had an 18.5% strikeout rate. And then after another promotion for a very quick stop at double A with five games and 22 PAs, it was a 22.7% strikeout rate. And so I saw, I saw that improvement in, in the strikeout rate and he maintained uh, his walk, well, uh, walk rate. And I thought that's pretty big. Um, you know, and he did put up a WRC plus of 134 at low A and 145 at high A. And I was thinking, okay, like next step is the moon, right? Like there he goes. Um, if he can maintain his plate approach, if he could, you know, kind of build on the power, keep stealing bases, um, you know, hit for a better average, like there it is. And he kind of, he just kind of came out of the gate slow. He got better. You'd see kind of tweets of hot streaks and homers and whatnot. And kind of, he just wasn't able to be consistently, you know, good and build and keep building. Um, and now he, what he's looking at now, the, after 500 plate appearances at double A as a 20 year old now is a 25.9% strikeout rate and a 15.3% walk rate uh, this year at, at double A, which is, you know, it's like, kind of it makes sense because it's that 25.9 is just about halfway between what he did in in low a and then the improvement that he made at at high a um and it's it's like okay like i guess it makes sense that he would settle in the middle over a large sample at double a um i think i just kind of believed that he could keep going keep improving and um he kind of took a step back there and you know it led to like a little decrease in babip a huge decrease in, in isolated slugging. Uh, his, his hitting 248 overall, uh, only slugging 402. I mean, it's like, it just hasn't quite clicked. You know, he has a 15 homers, 37 steals, which is great. But I think it's just, you can't quite be confident in, um, you know, in the contact skills and the hit tool um, enough to kind of like build off of the, the power speed combo that he still obviously has. Um and again, not saying that he is not going to be a good player. I, I think he he still will be a major league player and he'll be solid, but it's always going to be like, ah, he's not as good as we thought, you know? Um, and now I'm like, oh man, okay. Like coming back down a little bit. It was the expectations were huge and then they were super low. And then I was like, but wait, right? you never, you know, you never know. It yeah. could still work out. And yeah. now it's kind of back to like, all right, we're in the middle. You yeah. know, we're, we're just playing the middle ground. He's going to be good. He's going to be fine. He's going to make his debut. There'll probably be some hype, but like he's just, he will, he, you know, the, the ceiling is, is a bit clearer and a bit lower. I think the thing for me is I was making this joke about, uh, on the pitchless server the other day, people were claiming for Everson Pereira to get, mm. get called up. When, when's Pereira going to get called up? And I was like, yeah, that's what the Yankees need is like another outfielder with, like swing and miss issues and like 
big power, but like contact issues. And it, it and it's sort of the the meme of you know, mom, I want Jason Dominguez, and we have Jason Dominguez at home, and it's Everson Pereira. Like if you take the labels off of them, what really separates the two? They both have some contact issues. They both have tremendous power, though, and they both offer uh, some dynamic speed while being able to play in the outfield. And so from a valuation standpoint, I'm like, well, you know, go for the cheaper asset, which is going to always be, I mean, until they both make their debut, at least it's always going to be Pereira because Dominguez came in with all this hype. Um, I think your point is well-founded of that roller coaster of hype to like immediate, see, I told you he's a bust because he's not like hitting a home run in every baseball game to right. no, this guy's actually a good baseball player. If you actually just pay attention to, Oh, he's, he's now he's going through his growing pains. Mm-hmm. Riding that, that wave is, is one of the hardest pieces of like prospecting because you never know right. when am I, when am I getting off this ride? Right. Like when do I need to move this guy or like, when do I need to just be okay and just hold on and be invested? So that's a difficult one. I, I, I admire you for putting him on that list like this because I think that's a difficult one to assess at all. Because I think you could probably easily have put him on being too low on. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I probably, well, let me put it that way. I probably could have put him on my too low list because I was like, yeah. it's, it, it, it's impossible. Like the hype is right. an impossibility for him to ever be any good, um, you know, as far as what people are building up to be. So, um Who's you have you have another one and you have a bonus round. So who's, yeah. <laughs> who's your second who's your second prospect that you were maybe too high on? Yeah, second one is is I think a bit more simple, I guess, is uh Gordon Graceffo, uh the starting pitcher for the in the Cardinals organization. And I think what this is a lesson in is like when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Um uh, don't look at like the <laughs> what what it could be, you know? Yeah. Yep. yep. We talk about um, that in my house as a life lesson often. Right. right? That is it's difficult to hear that about about Graceffo, but I think you're right. <laughs> right, because like, you know, like it looks I, I and what I think a lot of the upside kind of came down to was that uptick in velocity. because mm-hmm. um, now like I just looked at his his last start, he averaged ninety six, ninety five nine on the fastball. And that's significantly better than what the initial scouting reports were in, in the lower levels of the minors was like, you know, low 90s, like, you know, 92, 93. Um, and then you got the reports that his velocity is up, up, upticked and he got to the AAA this year. And it was like, oh, no, that that did happen. OK, he is sitting, you know, 95, 96. And he just didn't get strikeouts. And that's what we had seen last year in so in the lower levels in 2021 in that low A he had a 31.9% strikeout rate uh 2022 promoted to high A uh 33.9% strikeout rate uh and again this is with the lower velocity and that was 26 innings in low A and 45 in high A then he gets promoted to double A last year and he threw 93.2 innings in double A and he had a 21.9% strikeout rate and a 6.3% walk rate for a 15.6 K minus BB. And, but, you know, coming into this year, he was still, he was a high, high ranked prospect. I think he was in my, like, he was around 80, 85 overall. And that was about industry consensus in general. He was about, he was about there. And, and then you think you, you hear, you like, Oh, he's improved his velocity. 
Uh, and then it's like, oh, okay. Like we know he has the, you know, some strikeout stuff that he's shown us before, you know, it was, you know, it was double a, it was a promotion. He was like 22. Like, I mean, it's not like super young for the level, but you never know it just, you know, and we're thinking like, okay, like he could take a step forward and maybe get back towards those 30% strikeout rates that we saw at lower levels. And then he came out this year and it's a 20.7% strikeout rate, 9.8% walk rate, 10.9 K minus BB in 66 innings. And so regardless of the kind of like the smoke and mirrors of the, the velocity or he's improved like this, this and that he put up 93 innings with a 21% strikeout rate in double a as a 22 year old, you know, pretty appropriate for the level. And I think I probably should have put more stock in that in those 93 innings, the largest sample of his career by far. Um, but I still kind of like chased the little, the little treat on the treadmill, right? Like, but he could be better. He has that, like people, like everyone thinks he's better than this. He is improving his, his arsenal. He's getting better and he will be better. Right. Um, and I think a part of that is that's going into this too, is now the kind of, we, we know that the Cardinals organization kind of sucks at getting people that pitchers to get whiffs. Like we've seen it so many times they've set up their major league staff like this with, with the veterans they have not being able to strike guys out a ton. And then even like the reports that have come out about their organization, just telling guys to throw it down the middle and go home, you know, get the game over with sooner. And so it's like, it's obvious that as an organization, they aren't great at getting strikeout pitchers to, to do, to, to be strikeout pitchers and and do well or whatnot. Um, And then it's also just like, he had that huge sample of, of horrible strikeout rates and like, you can only go up so much from that, even with an improved arsenal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my whole thing is like, I should have put more stock into the the 93 innings of a 21% strikeout rate before believing he could like take a huge step forward. You know? Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Believe when they show you who you are. Um, quickly, quickly. Uh, why don't you move yep. through your bonus round and then we can, uh, we can end the podcast there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I talked about it. We, it was uh, a bunch of episodes in, in the preseason. And even as we started checking in on things, I talked about Hayden Wesneski a ton. Uh, and he wasn't uh, technically, like, I think he, he had prospect eligibility, but he wasn't really like a top prospect guy. And, um, but it was like, oh, like, this is what he showed us. Like, he could, like, his pitch shapes look fantastic and the arsenal and his approach. And just, it, I mean, it all looked great. And I did a bunch of breakdowns and I was really in love with the guy. Um, what I'm going to point back to specifically was in OTF number 50, uh, Lamar posed the would you rather of Wes Neske or Taj Bradley. And I said, and I made the case for Wes Neske. And that was after he had a couple blowups in the beginning of the season. Uh, Cause it was still like, Oh, well, like it hasn't really changed a whole lot. He's still kind of a, really a, the same pitcher, the same pitches that, you know, just not putting guys away. And I was essentially making excuses for him. And I, and I don't think it was a horrible process because it was still things that I value that he was doing good still. Um, but now clearly it is Taj Bradley, 100%. This year, next year, the year after, it's Taj, it's Taj Bradley over over Wesneski. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was wrong about that. Uh, Wesneski could still be solid as a, maybe a number five, number four starter for the Cubs. Um, I'm, I don't think that he's a... I mean, right now he looks like a bust. I don't think he's... It's like guaranteed that he'll continue to be a bust. I still holding out some hope that he will be and a viable streamer, you know, in, in next year. Um, but yeah, right now it looks like that Wes Neske over Bradley long-term was completely holistically, absolutely incorrect. Um, and I would rather have Bradley now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, with that, uh, I think we will wrap there. I know we have the same uh, articles going. Your stash articles, my prospect watchlist will be winding around, winding down uh, in the next few weeks. I think we'll be finishing up sometime in mid-September with the final uh, watchlist articles. Uh, as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitchlist pods on the Pitchlist Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitchlist for you to find, listen, and subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mache, M-A-I-S-H. And of course, you can uh, follow along with the podcast itself um, on Twitter at OnTheFarmPL. PL on the farm. PL on the farm. Goodness. That's I've been out of it. PL on the farm. Uh, And with that being said, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.